This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, good morning, Boker Tov. How are you? Boker Tov, I wanted to start this morning talking a little bit about Israel's dairy industry. Mm-hmm. For those of you who visited Israel, you would have noticed that Israelis love dairy products and, in fact, and the options, the, the, the selection of dairy products in Israel is amazing and the quality is also amazing. People are very, very, um, keen and eager to, to eat dairy products, cheeses and cottage cheeses and, um, all kinds of dairy products. Very, very popular indeed. Um, but the dairy industry has been thrown into a little bit of turmoil recently with the government agreeing to reduce the import duties on dairy products. And uh, one of, at least one supermarket chain um, having announced that they will be importing milk from Poland. Wow. And the question is, why is this happening? What has led to the situation where um, Israeli supermarket chains are being forced or choosing, I'm not quite sure which is correct, um, to import milk from abroad? Um, the reality of the situation is that Israeli cows do actually produce enough milk to satisfy the dairy industry in Israel, the require the, the demand for dairy products in Israel. Um, I understand that the average Israeli cow produces something like 32 liters of milk every day, which um, when we look across all of the cows, even though the smaller dairy farms um, seem to be disappearing, declining certainly, um, with larger ones really taking over. This is, I think, due to um, somewhat the reduction in profitability of maintaining the medium and small farms, but also a huge increase in the efficiency of mm. um, the work that's being done in dairy farms. But the real issue is that milk in Israel, the price of milk in Israel, is regulated. The government determines what the price of milk is and uh, supermarket chains and, of course, dairies down the track are forced to comply with that price. And as it turns out, milk is by far the one dairy item which has the greatest demand but is also the least profitable because of the price restriction Mm, that is mm. placed um, on the milk. And as a result of that, the dairies and the supermarkets – don't really want to sell milk. They would rather sell higher-priced cheeses, cottage cheeses, other dairy products, rather than selling Mm. milk. And Mm. in fact, they tend to create a kind of a false uh, uh, problem, a false issue with regard to the supply of milk because they simply don't want to sell it at these um, regulated prices. And as a result of that, there is um, uh, some sort of an issue with a shortage of milk itself and therefore a requirement to have to uh, import milk from abroad. And the government did announce earlier this year 
but they were going to increase the regulated price by 16%. And then they sort of changed their minds and they said they were only going to raise the price by 9% because of an outcry from the general public saying, why would we be required to pay 16% more for milk? But the problem is that by increasing it only by 9%, it doesn't seem to have covered the increase in costs that the dairy industry has incurred as a result of which now we have this shortage of supply in milk. You go to the supermarkets and you can hardly find milk on the shelves, um, but cheese is in abundance. Um, and apparently this is all really down to the problem of the regulated price, which is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, protects the general consumer. On the other hand, it gives no real incentive for the dairy industry to supply that product. And um, let's not also forget that the Israeli dairy industry is very, very closely supervised. Every cow apparently has to have its quality checked at least once a month. And also, of course, we've got kashrut uh, supervision in the local industry, which when you import milk from Poland and other places becomes more of an issue. So we have a little problem going on at the moment within the Israeli dairy industry. And I think the only real way that this is going to be resolved is if we find a, an even balance somewhere between price rises mm, and mm. extra cost to the consumer while still making it uh, profitable uh, to give incentive to the industry to, to produce that product. Very interesting and uh, quite complex in terms of the impact. Uh, talk, taking a look at other stories, the Prime Minister has indicated that he'll make concessions to the Palestinians in order to make peace with Saudi Arabia. So what concessions would he make? Well, this is overall a very, very interesting topic of discussion. And the Prime Minister was interviewed recently on Bloomberg TV where he made these comments about he sort of hinted that he would be willing to make uh, concessions to the Palestinians in order to normalize relations with Saudi Arabia. It is no secret that the normalization of relations with Saudi Arabia is one of the highest items on Prime Minister Netanyahu's agenda for this current term of his prime ministerial uh, career. And, um, there, you know, he, he, he doesn't hide that um, in any way. And, of course, it's become a relevant point because the U.S. administration recently made comment about the fact that they were dealing with the Saudis in order to try and um, to apply some, get some normalization in ties and to add Saudi Arabia to the Abraham Accords because really it's just the next step forward, the next logical step forward and a huge step forward it would be indeed if Israel managed to achieve some sort of a normalization of relations with Saudi Arabia. Quite a lot of work has already been done. Let's not forget that Israeli aircraft are now allowed to fly over Saudi airspace, something that was never the case before. Um, and we could, in, we, it's almost inconceivable that we could imagine a situation where there would be a normalization of ties um, and a peace agreement, diplomatic relations with, between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Israelis visiting Saudi Arabia on their summer holidays. It kind of sounds something um, out of the movie, something that you couldn't conceive. But apparently this is something that um, could really happen. And the, the, the issue is that in the past the Saudis have said there will be no peace with Israel until the Palestinian issue has been resolved. That was a statement that was previously made. Now they seem to kind of be stepping away a little bit from that precondition, saying that they would be willing to create a normalization situation 
with Israel, even in the absence of the Palestinian issue being resolved, because it seems almost to be a problem that um, can't be resolved, certainly not in the mm-hmm. near term, and maybe not even at all, because of uh, the intransigence that we find of the, the, the parties in trying to come to an agreement. But um, Eli Cohen, Israel's um, foreign minister, has also made similar comments, and he was being interviewed by a London-based um, Arabic-language uh, newspaper and website where he said exactly the same thing, that um, the Palestinian issue will not be an obstacle to peace. Those are the words of Eli Cohen when talking to this website. So the question is, what sort of concessions would Israel be able to offer to the Palestinians? And that particular discussion has not yet taken place. And it's difficult for me to try to conceive what additional concessions Israel might be willing to offer. Because, for example, right now we've seen in recent days Israel conceding to the U.S. demand to allow American Palestinians mm-hmm. who live in Gaza, who live in the West Bank, to travel through Ben Gurion Airport. That actually all seems to be going quite smoothly, at least for now. And Israel is sounding even quite enthusiastic about the idea of allowing these people to travel through Ben Gurion Airport, something that was never the case before. Israel made numerous concessions over the years to the Palestinians, and I'm not sure whether we can really point to anything in particular that we've received back in return, except potentially propping up the Palestinian Authority and allowing them to to continue to rule over the Palestinian Authority area, where the alternative might be much more severe in terms of what the consequences could be for Israel. And of course, in recent days and weeks, we've seen a huge conflict arise, both within Gaza and within the Palestinian Authority area between Hamas and Fatah. Fatah, of course, being the party who is in control of the Palestinian Authority and the Palestinian Authority area, and lots and lots of um, conflict at the moment. In fact, there have been even um, some demonstrations within Gaza against the Hamas rule from grassroots Palestinians demonstrating against Hamas rule, demonstrating against what they perceive to be Hamas not really caring to enough about um, individual citizens. So the situation within the Palestinian Authority and within Gaza is currently not very stable and lots and lots of conflict between those two parties. And Israel is still quite eager to prop up the Palestinian Authority, Fatah, and of course Mahmoud Abbas as the president of the Palestinian Authority. I'm not sure what Israel might be able to offer as a concession to the Palestinians that might satisfy the Saudis. But this discussion being on the table right now, I think is very fascinating. The fact that it's even an agenda item being quite openly discussed, the Prime Minister being willing to discuss it on Bloomberg TV and other places. I think it it gives the feeling that Things are certainly happening in the background. Maybe I'm misinterpreting Mm. that, but it certainly gives us the impression that things are happening. Certainly from the comments that Netanyahu has made that I've read, he seems fairly confident that some form of uh, agreement will take place, which really would be quite uh, quite incredible. The High Court of Justice has issued an injunction against the implementation of the incapacitation law. What is significant about this? Well, let's start with what this incapacitation law is really all Mm. about. This was a law um, that was passed quite recently, um, which states that only the cabinet 
is able to declare the Prime Minister unfit or incapacitated. And not only that the Cabinet is the only body that has the right to do so, but it actually requires a two-thirds majority in the Cabinet. And that in some cases, such declaration would also require an approval of the Knesset, and that would require a supermajority in the Knesset of at least 90 Knesset members. So all of this really means that it's almost impossible mm. to declare the Prime Minister incapacitated or to declare the Prime Minister unfit for office. Now, of course, that all comes against the backdrop of the Attorney General having decided in 2020 when the current government was put together that the Prime Minister would not be involved in any judicial reform discussions because he is effectively conflicted. He has a conflict of interest because he's currently fighting a court case and that his role as Prime Minister becoming involved in the judicial reform would be a conflict of interest. And so that was a, a ruling that was handed down and it was quite significant that on the day that this incapacitation law was passed, by the Knesset, the Prime Minister stood up on that very day and said he is getting involved in the judicial reform process. And, of course, the subtext is, despite the fact that he had entered into an agreement, that he wouldn't get involved because of conflict of interest. So the High Court of Justice, the bench of three justices, last week decided to... Uh, give, to grant an injunction against the, 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 the implementation of the incapacitation law, and they've decided that a, a, a much fuller bench of thir 11 judges out of the full 15, 11 judges of the High Court of Justice, will hear further arguments about this incapacitation law later in September. So instead of saying we are overruling the law because we think it's not reasonable, they've said that both parties need to submit arguments on the 28th of September to prove why they feel that the incapacitation law should or should not be implemented. Now, the Prime Minister has also decided at the same time to say, well, the next step in the judicial reform is to change the makeup of the Judicial Selection Committee, and that he is determined to do in spite of the fact that he had previously given various undertakings that the judicial reform process in general would be done with broad consent, so far we've already seen the law which cancelled the unreasonableness uh, application. And now he's saying he's going to push forward with the reconstitution of the Judicial Reform Committee. So all of these are really getting him getting involved mm, in the judicial mm, reform mm. in spite of the fact that he had agreed not to become involved. Um, and now the court has said we will not set aside that amendment to the basic law because the court has never done that before and the court is very reluctant to do so. But the court is saying we would like to hear further arguments. And interestingly, some of the judges in the court have said we don't fully understand what you're saying about the link between this incapacitation law and the agreement that was entered into the but with the prime minister for him not to get involved in this conflict of interest situation. We still don't quite fully right. understand why you've drawn that link, and that's going to need to be argued in the court. So we have a very, very interesting situation where the courts are continuing to get involved in some of these issues in spite of the attempts by the Knesset to somehow 
clip their wings and not allow them to get involved in these discussions. And so it continues. It is 8 o'clock. Anthony Reich, thank you as always. We'll catch you tomorrow morning at 7.45 for the Israel Report. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. Dot com.